Proving this out in Canada, I think would be game changing. I think it would demonstrate to the industry that this is indeed possible in the Canadian climate with, for example, swine manure in our case, but potentially co-digesting with other manure sources and other feedstock sources and do so in a profitable way that actually has an impact a measurable impact, as AAFC will help us determine, a quantifiable, measurable impact on the environment, on our operations, and on the industry. Welcome to The First 16. I am Sarah Boivin-Chabot. And I am Kirk Finken. Proving out a new idea or an improvement on an old one in this sector can be a long, hard slog. You know, there's something there, and you go at it, hopefully with lots of help, often building on work of others that have come before you, it's like pushing a heavy rock up a hill, hoping for some momentum or some others to come and push with you. And that's where we find both of our guests today. They're both in the middle of large, challenging projects, projects that are helping the sector become more sustainable by reducing its carbon footprint. Mauricio Alanis, he's the one we heard at the top of the episode there. He's the Director of Sustainability, Strategy and Partnerships at Maple Leaf Foods. And you can hear the excitement, right? But before we get too excited, um, I think we need to address the effluent in the room. Uh, we're gonna have to put our boots on here. We are wading into the world of anaerobic digestion, a method used to convert manure, slurry, and other agricultural residues into bioenergy and bioproducts with economic value, all while reducing greenhouse gases emissions. Let's remember a slogan shared with us by our other guest, Dr. Rajinikant Rajagopal, Raj for short. He's a research scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Sherbrooke Research and Development Centre. I think the one one slogan word, you know, um, waste is not waste, but misplaced resources. So this, you know, the phrase really attracted me. So that's where the, my motivation started and it's going on till now. Well said. Raj is going to help us understand anaerobic digestion, and he'll share with us some of the newest development and refinements to the technology that he and the team at the Sherbrooke Research Center have been working on. And Mauricio gives us a look into Maple Leaf's sustainability journey, how anaerobic digestion could work into their plan, and give us a really good sense of the challenges they face when trying to deploy these technologies at scale. So we start on the ground and I guess a little in the dark. Raj, what's a biodigester? Yeah, so biodigester is a closed container where no oxygen you know, enters into it. And so the anaerobic microorganisms which are naturally available will degrade or will transform the organic material into methane and carbon dioxide. That's a simple terminology for anaerobic digestion. And the methane is captured? It's an excellent question, actually. Yeah. See, for example, methane is a greenhouse gas. Only when you let it emit out you know, to the atmosphere. You know, when you have a manure storage tank, you let it, you know, store the ma ma manure during different, you know, periods. You emit methane that is dangerous to the environment. But when we collect them using a controlled system that we're talking about anaerobic digestion, you collect the methane and this methane is used for, for creating energy, right? So once you burn the methane, it's not methane emission to the atmosphere. 
right? In that way, you know, methane is a useful resource to replace uh, fossil fuel. So we, we collect them and store it in a different form, gas form, and then we use them for other downstream applications. So what is it that's unique about the digester technology that you and your team are working on? We have been developing uh, two important technology concerning anaerobic digestion. One is a liquid part and other is a solid digestion. So liquid part is a mature te uh, technology. As you can see, we have already showcased our te technology into a form scale digester with a 300 meter cube capacity. And other side, we have been developing solid digesters. We went up to a pilot scale, but not into the commercial scale level. The major difference between these two is like, we wanted to treat the waste as is. It was designed to treat manus uh, produced within our center, Sherbrooke Research and Development Center, including the effluents from swine sector and dairy complexes. In addition to this, our digester can able to treat silage that is not suitable for animal consumption. So this is a unique biodigester that has a possibility to operate at low temperature. This means that between 20 and 25 degrees Celsius. So you may ask a question like why low temperature? Low temperature has some advantages. For example, it has a positive energy balance adapted to the Canadian climatic conditions, and it has a potential to treat nitrogen-rich organic matter. For example, uh, swine manure or chicken manure, they are rich in nitrogen. What would be the advantage of a lower temperature? So around the world, mostly mesophilic operation, which means that the temperature range from 35 degrees to 45 degrees Celsius, are quite popular. So low, low temperature means that the digester will be operating at 20 to 25 degrees Celsius, means that we don't have to put external energy to heat the biodigester. Beyond a gas, what else can be used after the process? The interesting component is the other bioproducts, which is like a fertilizer value digestate, which you get at the end of the digestion process. We call it as a digestate, means that the end product of a digestion process. This digestate has a fertilizer value, rich in nutrients that are useful for crops growth. And so why would it be important to develop this type of technology in Canada? Isn't there um, some of this that's already been developed elsewhere? Because the first thing, the climate is not the same. Right. The second thing is the 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 crops or the manus produced here, the feed, the feed for the animals are different. We have to develop the technology that's suitable for our environment, our food system, and our way of producing animals. These are technologies that solve present problems, but also future problems. Um, speaking of our environment and food system, Maple Leaf Foods has actually come knocking at the door for the advice and expertise of both Raj and his colleagues as they continue to improve the sustainability of the company. And for more on this, we turn to our conversation with Mauricio. To start, can you give us an overview of Maple Leaf Foods? 
Sure. So I'll, maybe I'll start off by saying that Maple Leaf Foods is a carbon neutral food company on a purposeful journey to raise the good in food. But but really, I think what I what I want to highlight here is is uh, our intention to be the most sustainable. Our vision to be the most sustainable protein company on earth. This is uh, a vision that has been inked uh, to into our DNA now uh, through our senior leadership team, our our CEO Michael McCain, and it's it's a, a purposeful journey that is is really energizing for us internally. We have north of twelve thousand employees. Uh, a, a big portion of those are our manufacturing facilities. We have operations, uh, manufacturing operations all across uh, Canada, a few facilities in, uh, in the United States as well. Uh, and we've really uh, embarked on this journey basically since 2019, since we set uh, our science-based targets and when we became the world's first major carbon, food, uh, carbon neutral food company. So do, do you own farms? Great question. So yes, Maple Leaf Foods is a vertically integrated food company. So yeah, we have ownership of uh, about 40% of all the pigs that we process. Uh, so we oversee those those pigs. They're, all those barns are virtually 100% of those are based out of Manitoba. Uh, we also contract about 60% of all the pigs that we process. Uh, and those are from third-party contract growers, also virtually all of them located in Manitoba. We also own some hatcheries uh, from a poultry standpoint, uh, but then we sell them off uh, to farmers and then farmers actually grow them and then we buy them back. So that's that's sort of how we are vertically integrated. Uh, we are not vertically integrated beyond that. So we don't actually own any of the cropland that produces the feed for, uh, for these animals. Um, those would be, if I want to get a little technical, uh, they are what we consider our scope three emissions. Can you talk a little bit about the different emission scopes? Sure. So in, in the sort of sustainability world, um, when mapping out the major sources of our emissions, so let me take a step back. Maple Leaf Foods became a carbon neutral food company in 2019. And part of the, the way to do this is to first and foremost understand where our emissions lie understand every single bit of emission sources across all of our operations and our value chain. And in the sustainability world, just like in the accounting world, there are sort of rules and accounting terminology to try and, and help uh, categorize all of these emissions better. And so in comes the scope one, scope two, and scope three terminology. Scope one emissions are basically all of the emissions that are derived from operations within our control, within our operational or financial control. So any emissions uh, coming out of our manufacturing facilities are scope one emissions. If we own uh, trucks that transport our animals, the emissions from those trucks are our scope one emissions. The emissions from our pigs of the barns that we own, right? Tailpipes, if you will, um, also scope one emissions. Scope two emissions, are emissions related to the energy footprint that we source. So if we were to be based out of the United States and we were to source energy from a coal plant, then our scope two emissions would be very high. We're blessed in Canada that we have very clean energy grids and therefore our scope two emissions are very low. And then scope three emissions are basically everything in our, in our value chain, upstream and downstream. We don't have direct control over how 
a you know uh, how wheat was grown per se for our for our pigs but what we do have control over is whether we want to source wheat and whether we want to source wheat from x or y supplier same with you know corrugate for example we don't have again direct control over how the box was made but we have control over whether or not we want to source that box from someone who's uh, sourcing their you know lumber or their their pulp from a deforested site in in the amazon right so scope three emissions also play into our purview and and our, our level of of intent and impact uh, as well i hope you've got a big team because that sounds like an awful lot of work it is it is it is a lot of work um and uh, it is something that we are always looking for more help on. Um, the The efforts are multifold, right, Kirk? They're they're at the plants, they're at the head office, they're at the barns, they're with our suppliers, they're with the accountants, they're all around, right? Everybody wants to know what we're doing, how we're doing, how we're tracking, how we're verifying, how we're reporting, how we're measuring, right? Ensure, and we all want to ensure that none none of this is greenwashing. That it's all verifiable. Um, we want to be doing as much as we can, as quickly as we can, as urgently as we can, and still be able to have a business tomorrow where we're not sort of blowing all of the capital at once, right? We still want to be able to employ the 12,500 people that we employ. Why is Maple Leaf Foods interested in anaerobic digestion? The original carbon inventory mapping that we did gave us a really good understanding of where the biggest sources of our emissions came from. And unequivocally, the number one and two sources came from our animals and from the fuel used to either heat up our barns or fuel used at our operations facilities. And so in came a, a really interesting challenge for us. How do we solve for the emissions coming out of our manure lagoons. And it seems that anaerobic digestion is a very established technology that could very handily solve this problem for us. The challenge that has been sort of raised here is how do we appropriately employ this technology in a very challenging climate like Manitoba, lots of rural roads, the barns, 100 plus are interspersed all throughout Manitoba, minus 40 degree weather weeks at a time in the winter, um, manure is mostly liquid, swine manure, because pigs are great at digesting, they actually take a lot of the energy out already, so it actually doesn't produce a lot of biogas, but you know, it's still harmful for the environment for it to sit in those those lagoons throughout the summer months. So how do we do all of these uh, is is part of the, the challenge that we're trying to tackle. But the 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 reason why we're interested in, in biodigestion is because of the benefits that it offers. It offers some true added circularity to the food system, something that is very much needed. Today, 100% of all of our manure uh, from the lagoons that we have in Manitoba gets land applied back to the lands as organic fertilizer, which is which is fantastic. The, the, the problem is that happens in the fall. And in the summer months, when the manure is sitting in those lagoons, it decomposes and emits methane. And that's not good. So digestion allows us to collect all of that manure, digest it, capture all of that methane, create digestate, give us the ability to put it back on those lagoons and still land apply it in the fall. 
as organic fertilizer. And I'm told it's supposed to be an even better source of fertilizer because it's already, it's more bioavailable to the soil and the plants. Uh, and it's virtually odorless, which means we become better neighbors very quickly. So what sort of expertise were you looking from from our scientists? So we, we've, we've talked to Raj and, and a couple of the other scientists uh, at AFC, Andy, uh, Andy as well. Um, it, there's, there's no doubt in my mind you guys have some some of the the world class leaders in in some of this technology at AFC, and it's it's been a pleasure working with them so far, and and sort of picking their brain around how they would go about doing some of these activities. There's basically around four or five activities that we started to explore with them. The first one is around accurate measurements. So today, when we did going back to the the initial part of our discussion, when we did our carbon inventory, when we mapped all of the carbon in our inventory. Part of how we did this was through some lit literature research, right? The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has specific measurements on how we should account for every liter of manure that's sitting in our lagoons. And part of how they arrived at that measurement is through some of the most common lagoons in the world, the ones in the Carolinas in the United States, where it is very unlike Manitoba weather, where it is constantly hot, where it is constantly getting decomposed and emitting methane into the atmosphere. In Manitoba, those lagoons do not emit methane or very little in the winter months when there is an ice crust on top of it. So getting that baseline right first is important in understanding the impacts, the true impacts that digestion will have on the environment and on the emissions coming out of those lagoons. So part of what they're, what we're seeing how they can help in is doing in situ measurement uh, of Canadian swine manure um, barns and, and swine manure lagoons, I should say, uh, you know, a dozen or so to help the industry assess, okay, what are the actual measurements here and what are the actual uh, emissions that are, that are being released from Canadian lagoons specifically? So that's the first, accurate measurements and quantifying that. The second, which I touched on a little bit, was around reducing um, the, the amount of, so again, the, the two-sided coin, increasing the amount of biogas so capturing more energy from the digestion process and thereby also looking at how we reduce the amount of emissions that, come, that comes from digestate back when the digestate is returned to the lagoon and eventually when it gets land applied to the field. So that's number two. How do we do that? And I, I believe it's the, the Sherbrooke Center that has the idea that will help us uh, sort of do that with some real feedstock. The third is around the actual lagoon emissions reductions through additives. So I mentioned that we have over 100 different barns all throughout Manitoba. The way that we're looking at this is to have centralized digesters at key locations where those different lagoons can contribute their manure to those centralized digesters. But invariably, there are going to be some lagoons that are going to be just too far away. It's just, it just uneconomical to truck liquid manure to a digester that is 150 kilometers away. Like you're, 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 you're emitting more, more emissions on the truck drive there than what the feedstock that you're carrying is going to produce in biogas. 
So what we want to explore with AFC and one of the things that, that, that Rash will be looking at is what are some of those additives that can be dropped into the lagoons that stop the anaerobic digestion process from happening in the lagoons and stop the lagoons from going anaerobic and therefore emitting methane in those summer months. And if we're able to solve that, that's a huge plus because it means that then we are able to capture those stranded lagoons throughout our network. And then the last one is around digestate. So digestate is what is left over from the digestion process. Uh, and contrary to popular belief, most of what comes into the digester comes out, plus or minus, give it five or 10%, depending on the feedstock that, that, that's coming in. So you still are left with a lot of volume of digestate. And today we're, we've modeled it to be, to be returned back to the lagoons and stored there. The, that digestate can be post-processed for a couple of different reasons. One is for further biogas extraction, and another one is for nutrient recirculation. So studying the ways on how we are best able to get the best nutrients out of that digestate and back on the fields is another thing that we're very interested in collaborating with AAFC. When you're doing something new or innovative, I assume you spend a lot of time to convince people that it's going to work. Can you speak to that challenge? You know, sometimes listening to myself talk about the dollars and cents over the sustainability impact is something that I want to I want to be clear about because this is, you know, Manitoba has had a couple of failed anaerobic digestion projects and something that has turned off the province to to want to invest in this technology again. They, they're they a, a bit skeptical, if I will, around making this work because of the challenges that we've talked about. And so one of the things that we want to ensure that we do well is that we, in, in some ways, pave a path for, for, the, for the sector and for the industry to showcase that this is possible. It is possible to do it in the most harsh conditions, um, in a profitable way, in a way that we can we can move forward. So always finding that balance between doing this in an optimized, profitable way, in a, in a while also helping the environment, of course. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, yeah, it it all has to work together, obviously. Uh, any final thoughts on the future of this technology? We have big ambitions uh, around uh, emissions reduction as a country, uh, as a planet. Uh, we have needs from an energy perspective, and. This, I think, hits on a lot of those things. We have fertilizer costs and energy costs going up. This is a way to, again, increase the circularity to ensure that nothing's going to waste, right? A lot of the waste, the organic waste that comes out of our processing facilities can and will be used in our anaerobic digestion systems. Uh, a lot of the grocery waste or curbside organics, there's there's technology now in, now in place to pre-process stuff that's already in in bags and in cans and process all that and uh, extract the organics and put them in digesters and stop them from going to landfills and emitting methane. So there's there's a lot of things I think at play here and a lot of things to prove. I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to crack the code on how to do this, how to mitigate those risks, how to address those challenges. And, and in doing all that, I think it'll be uh, a huge game changer for the for the industry too. And both Mauricio and Raj are really working heads on to find solutions for our sector, really concrete applied solutions. 
Yeah,、um, you know when Mauricio was talking in an interview,、um, you know I, I couldn't help but think that it takes everybody in that organization, and it's a huge, huge organization. It takes everybody to, you know, to buy in and to be working together on that, and、um, you know that's that's commendable. And I think that、uh, you know what we're doing in our.、Uh, Research centers as well as、uh, helping、uh, organizations like that uh, to uh, to achieve those goals, and as they are listening, adopting a new technology always comes with a financial commitment, and it has to make sense. When talking about a large operation like Maple Leaf versus,、uh, let's say, a smaller dairy farm, it's a very different calculation. Raj wrapped up the interview by telling us what they are focusing on next. Like once you say the name anaerobic digester, the, the next thing comes immediately is the cost, because cost plays a major role, especially、uh, for a small scale operations, for a cooperative or 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 a big producers, big animal producers, anaerobic digestion is a is a feasible solution because、uh, minimum five hundred cows or even more than you know thousand thousand heads of、uh, swine, for example. Anaerobic digestion is feasible because the cost point of view、um, it's doable. But when you talk about the small scale farms who has an animal of hundred heads or you know fifty、uh, heads, sixty heads, the the cost plays a major role. Our center's important objective: how to reduce the cost, especially the capital cost and construction cost and the material cost. So, in that direction, we started developing a technology called high solids digester. Which is a part of a micro anaerobic digester means that you develop a system just for 20 cows, just for 30 cows. In that way, the cost we can reduce it, and that's where the the solid digestion part will reduce the size of the digester more than 10 times compared to the liquid anaerobic digester. It's like buying a tractor; like you invest on something, but you're going to get back the money in in few years. But using these bio products. The farmers gonna get back some money, but we have been working so hard to bring that less than ten years, so that the farmer can have a profit, you know, from having a digester. They're really taking our usual goodbye words to heart. You know, they're trying something new. Yeah, thank you, Raj and Mauricio, for joining us for this episode. What about us? Are we trying something new? I am. I'm actually leaving the agricultural sector for something completely different, and I will miss this podcast so much. But I'll keep listening. But you're staying in government, which is great. And、uh, you know, from myself and the, and the crew here,、uh, you know, want to wish you the best of luck.、Uh, it's been a real pleasure and and、uh, um, an honor to be working with you. No, thanks very much, Sarah. Thank you. Same to all of you, and try something new. <laughs>